0: Uh, you know, when I, when I go out to other places and speak, I, I'm not quite as free there as I am here, okay? So, um, uh, you know, because we are family. Um, but when I heard her preach, it was just like, wow, she just like, she's methodical. Like, she obviously inherits that from her mom, you know, and not her dad. But um, she really just impressed me. And so when I was going through in our staff meeting about, you know, my week that I knew I was going to have this this past week, um, I asked her to speak, and she was more than happy to do that. It's been a little while since she's actually preached here. And so without further ado, this is our own Pastor Heather. Give, him a war- give her a warm welcome today, hey? Okay? <laughs> Thanks, honey. Thank you. I'm not going to preach from behind the keyboard. I'll come over here. No music today. but um, What a wonderful time we already had in worship, though, right? And last week, of course, was Resurrection Sunday, Easter, and, uh, and I'm looking at the calendar and I realize he asked me to preach right after Easter. How do you follow that? <laughs> Easter's like the biggest day. It's the, it's the best message. Uh, what, what is better than that? And so I was really trying to think about, well, you know, what can I say that would be helpful, that would be a good follow-up to that? And uh, in John chapter 10, Jesus is talking about how um, he's the good shepherd. And it's really a a great demonstration. Uh, He's kind of prepping everybody for what's going to come. He says, the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, right? And that's what he did for us. Um, And on Good Friday, he went to the cross. And then, of course, uh, through his resurrection, we have the gift of salvation, uh, the payment for sin, and life in Christ. But Right before he says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, he says this in John 10.10. 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And so I think there's a kind of this thought like, okay, after the resurrection, what comes next? And what's next for us is abundant life. As believers, Christ wants us to walk into the abundant life that he came to give us. He desires this for us. Uh, He wants this for us. And he is there to help us achieve that abundant life. But you know what? The world wants you to have a good life too. And when I say the world, you know what I mean, right? The secular counterpart to what Christ desires for us is what the world desires for you. And when you think about it, um, it comes across in this phrase very frequently now. I've seen it everywhere. It's online all the time. It's in the stores in a little picture frame. It's plastered on your coffee mug. And it's, how many of you have seen it? Living my best life. Anybody familiar with this phrase? I hate it. I can't stand it. Every time I see it, it incites this little bit of anger in me because, one, I don't know what they mean by that. What in the world are they talking about? And then, two, I think, doesn't that kind of sound a little selfish? Because uh, as a child, I maybe had a bit of a tendency to be selfish, and so my parents tried to, like, really knock that out of me. And uh, I think they did a pretty good job. I can't say that I'm never selfish, but I think this idea, you know, this living my best life, it's all about... What is gonna make me happy? What am I gonna to do to further myself? What, what am I able to do that's gonna make me the happiest and live my best life? And I think that's kind of where people are at. They're measuring their happiness, the quality of their life, and the worth of their life by what they're doing in a couple different categories. And these are only some of them, but it's, I see it a lot, their fitness journey. Now, how many of you like to work out? A few hands, okay, that's good. How many of you like to eat really healthy? A few hands, that's good. Do you see me? I'm not raising my hand for either of those. (laughs) But um, a fitness journey can become something where you really measure your quality and happiness of life. It's what you do every day, from when you wake up to when you go to bed. It's your fitness journey, your fitness journey, your fitness journey, say that three times fast. Or sometimes, you know, we see it a lot with influencers on Instagram, Um, it's all about travel. It's all about the experience. It's all about going to the best food places and just, you know, enjoying life to the fullest, leisure time, right? And maybe that for them is living their best life. Maybe it's based on how much money you have in your bank account. Now, that has been the thing from like the beginning of time. Money has always mattered, right? But we can't qualify our life by how much money we have. Maybe it's about your success in the workplace, and the higher you get on that ladder of success means that you are continuing to live your best life. Now, as I've grown into the role of mom over the past three years, this has definitely been something that I've been more focused on is how other people are raising their children. What do other families look like? And I think there's a tendency, especially for moms, to like compare to each other moms. And we see, oh, well, that mom is doing such a good job. I wish I could be like them. Or like, and my sister, I love her. She's so crafty. I look at what she does with her kids and I think, oh, I can never do that. I don't have the patience for those crafts. I do not have the creativity for those things. But she is a great mom. but guess what, being a, great no, being a great mom doesn't mean that I'm living my best life by Christ's standards. And you see social media and the internet has kind of amplified and exaggerated this idea of what our best life should be. And it leads us into comparison, where we see other people and we see what they're doing and we measure ourselves against them. And we say, oh, like my son, what about me? What about... Jackson, what are, look at what they're doing, I'm not doing that, Uh, what about me, and it breaks my little heart when he does that, because he's just so cute, but that comparison then leads us to dissatisfaction, and then we say, well, God must not love me, because I don't have a private jet, or God must not love me, because I didn't get to travel to Hawaii, which I'm so glad and happy that I did and we're gonna go back someday. (laughs) But that does not qualify my life. And then that dissatisfaction with who we are and what we have leads to this idea of unachievable happiness. And so then nothing makes our lives better because we're always settled in unachievable levels of happiness that we think we see everybody else achieving. And see, that is not what Christ wants for us. But that is what the world is showing us. And don't worry, because the world has an answer. If you go online, you can find an answer to anything. The internet always has the answers, right? Just type it into Google and it'll spit it out for you. And this is what I love too. You go through the stores now or even in, um, even in some exercise programs and of course on the coffee mugs and embroidered on the pillows are all these little motivational quotes and phrases that are going to help you achieve best life status. Hashtag my, but living my best life. Um, it, Do you guys know what a hashtag is? If you do, you do, and if you don't, that's okay. But they're in help books, they're in, uh, they're in... um, Anyway, okay, so here's some of these quotes. Here's some of these quotes. Now, don't get me wrong, I like these quotes. I think they're actually really good, and they are motivational, they uh, fulfill their purpose. If you were to read them over and over every day, you would be motivated, but is that enough? So let's check them out. For the first one here, Walt Disney. One of my favorites. I'm a Disney fanatic. I love this guy. All our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. It's very inspirational. Dr. Seuss, you're off to great places. Today is your your day. Your mountain is waiting, so get on your way from all the places you'll go. And how many of you received that as a graduation present from high school or maybe from college? You've got that book and you're like, oh, I feel inspired. Okay. Let's move on. Go confidently in the direction of your dreams. Live the life you've imagined. Henry David Thoreau, a great author. Uh, Vince Lombardi said, it's not whether you get knocked down, it's whether you get up. I had to put something like sports in there for you guys. I'm really not that great at sports. I would get knocked down and stay down. But that's okay. Um, And then one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis. You are never too old to set another goal or to dream a new dream. And isn't that wonderful? Because it doesn't matter at what stage of your life you're in, you can always start over. And like I said, these sayings and these quotes are not bad things. They would motivate us. They would inspire us if we were constantly putting them in. But let's not forget about the scriptures. Because we want to feel empowered and we want to be able to thrive, but we can't do it without the word of God, right? So maybe we could get this embroidered on a pillow. And you would like to showcase it on your couch. Proverbs 27.1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Well, that's, that's life in a nutshell. Unexpected things happen all the time, right? Or how about this one? Psalm 102.11. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. Put that on your desk at work. Because that is how you feel, Right? And you can't be inspired through scripture without looking at the great story of Job. Job 14.1, man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. Can I get an amen? Because don't we know that life is full of trouble? Every day seems to bring something new. There is more trouble. There is something else that is happening. And we might have those days when we feel like, yes, yes, we're doing great, we're doing great. And then tomorrow hits and trouble comes. Now, I'm, just, I'm being a little silly here. I know you guys understand that. These are probably not the verses that you want to plaster up everywhere because you would not be inspired and motivated. You would be depressed all the time. And you'd be like, oh, I wither away like grass. Lord, give me strength. But that's how we feel sometimes, right? But what's important to understand about these verses is that there is truth in them. And so we don't necessarily want to focus on them all the time, but we have to have an understanding of the truth that lies there. And that truth is that our days are numbered. We do not have an infinite amount of time on this earth. Our days are numbered, and we do not know them, but the Lord does. And so we have to, instead of focusing on everything that the world tells us we need to focus on to make ourselves better, we need to refocus ourselves onto that abundant life that Christ is talking about that he wants us to be able to walk into. So if we look at this concept of our days being numbered, we find here uh, these two verses in Psalm chapter 39. It says, "O oh Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is nothing; is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath." Wow, how do those words ring for you? Because how many times have we, as young children, as young adults, and even into adulthood, thought that we just have all the time in the world? And who else here, like me, procrastinates? I'm like, oh, I'll just do it tomorrow. And my poor husband, (laughs) he has to live with me. (laughs) Oh, don't worry about it. We'll just do it tomorrow. And then that turns into... Yeah, John, I'm probably, you know, that item on my to-do list, I'm just pushing that to next week because uh, there's just no way it's getting done this week. And then sometimes it ends up being next month. And I'm like, oh, in the fall. Yeah, in the fall, we can tackle that. But we're not guaranteed those days, right? So in the silly things in life, doesn't matter too much. But no, when it's important, we should not be putting it off because we are not guaranteed that we have tomorrow. Now, I'm gonna put a plug here for the Wednesday night Bible study because I really love uh, the study that Francis Chan does on the book of James. So come out Wednesday night seven o'clock and listen to it and be a part of it. And if you can't come to the meetings, I really encourage you to get on Right Now Media and do it yourself. A few years ago, I did this study and I would do it in my car in the morning on the way to work. They're only about like 15 minutes long or so each. And it's just really encouraging and inspiring. And James, I love the book of James because he's just like, there's no funny business in there. He's just like right to the point. He just lays it all out concise. And he's like, here we go. So if you like direct reading, go to the book of James. It's wonderful. But so I was listening to this study in my car and um, I had... Let's see. I was married for maybe a year or two, and then I was pregnant, so I was getting ready to have Jackson. And so my mindset, where I was in life, in hearing these scriptures, was different than where it had been the previous times I had read through this book. Uh, And that really matters. When you read the Bible, it really does matter where you are in life, because the scriptures breathe new things to you. So that's why you can't just read it once and say, okay, check, I read the Bible. You've got to keep going back and reading it again. And so I had read through these verses, and as a teenager and as a very young adult, I just like, okay, I read James, I did it kind of just push past them. But as I'm sitting there in my car that day, listening to um, James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, it started to like just really click in me. Something was just different. And maybe it was hearing Francis Chan go through it, because sometimes that helps if you listen to it instead of just read it. But whatever it was, it just really had an impact on me. And so it says this in James chapter 4, 13 through 15. Now listen, you who say... getting ready to be a mom mode. So I'm making plans, you know, I'm making plans for my son, I'm making plans for our house, I'm making plans for our family, I'm making, 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 making making plans. And I get that from my mom too. Um, And I thought to myself, okay, all of these plans that I'm making, have I considered the Lord in these? And I think for most of us, we have a really good grasp on including God in our big plans. Like, where are we going to live? Where are we going to work? Who are we going to marry? Um, you know, how many kids are we going to have? And and so those big items, it's like easy to say, okay, God, show me your will. But what about all the small stuff? Are we seeking his will in that too? And I mean, I'm not like saying like, okay, God, what should I have for breakfast? Because if I can't make that choice on my own, we've got a bigger problem. Um, but maybe even on the day-to-day basis, we need to be saying, God, what do you have for me today? Where am I going today? What is your will for me today? Because each day that we have is a gift from him. Tomorrow is never guaranteed. And so we need to be asking him, Lord, what is your will for me today? And so we can go ahead and make plans. And I don't think that James is saying you shouldn't be prepared for life because that would just be nonsensical. And James is a very sensible man. But you have to make sure that those plans that you're making are aligning with God's will and you're not just doing it on your own. He goes on to say uh, a few verses later that it's actually when you boast in your plans, you have arrogant schemes. And I was like, arrogant schemes? Like the color of the nursery for my son is not an arrogant scheme. And I don't think I need to ask God about the paint color, but what about the other plans I'm making for my son? Am I just being a selfish mom? Am I just desiring all the things for my son and leaving God out of the equation? Because God is the one who is giving him to me. And how fitting that we had a beautiful baby dedication today, you know, to know that God has a specific plan for Everly. How beautiful is that, that this tiny little baby, God cares for her and has a plan even for her tomorrow what her tomorrow will be at three months old. He has a plan. So getting back on track here. So James, this passage in James kind of just made me stop and think. Am am I really doing what I feel is the will of God or am I doing what I just want to do? And uh, here's a second plug, okay? (laughs) I'm like just advertisements all over the place today. If you're not doing the church Bible reading app, you should. And you should get in our group and be a part of it because the discussion on there is amazing. And it's also, it's just nice to see what everybody else thinks about this. But last week we were going through Numbers 20 and it's a story of Moses. we have been following Moses through this whole big long journey. And um, in in Moses chapter 20, in Numbers chapter 20, Moses loses his sister Miriam. She dies he loses his brother Aaron, he dies. And then Moses uh, disobeys God. And instead of speaking to the rock to produce the water, he strikes it with his staff instead. Big mistake. Because then God says, nope, you don't get to go to the promised land. And I'm thinking to myself, God, it's just one thing. Moses only did one thing wrong, but he is the righteous judge and he has the ability to do that. And so out of this situation that Moses finds himself in, lost his sisters, not going to get to go to the promised land. He writes a Psalm and it's actually the only Psalm that we have from Moses in the book of Psalms. Now he has like two other little songs, different Psalms and songs. He has two songs in the Pentateuch and then he also has like a blessing for the children of Israel. But if you read through this Psalm of Moses is so beautiful and it's good to know when he's writing it because it helps you to understand the meaning behind what he's, what he's written down. So we're just going to look at a few verses here in Psalm 90 verses 9 through 12. It says, all our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And so remember, he's just gone through the death of both of his siblings. And the way that Aaron dies is just amazing to me. I mean, God literally says, Aaron, you're going to come up this mountain and you're going to die. He just lays it all right out. How many of us want to know when we're going to die? Who are the weirdos in this room? Okay, Mary. (laughs) I mean, it's not for us to know, right? But this is a weird, this is a weird circumstance where Aaron is told, this is what's going to happen. Bring your son. Let's go. You're going to give him your cloak and you're going to die. And you're not going to enter the promised land. And so Moses has to bury his sister then he has to go with his brother up the mountain, and then he himself is told, you can't enter the promised land. And so he's writing this psalm, and he's just focusing and meditating on the shortness of life, that our days are not our own, that we do not have an infinite amount, and that in all of it, God is still Lord and that he is the one who has the power, and that he is the one who is due uh, the glory. And so there are three things that we want to grab from this little passage that we need to understand from what Moses has written. And the first is the frail nature of humanity and the righteous judgment of God. And so we see that... Poured out on Moses here, where both of his siblings are gone. He's understanding the frailty of human life. And then also, because of his mistake, he views God once again as that righteous judge who is able to pass judgment. He's able to say, Moses, you did it wrong, you're done. You don't get to enter the promised land. And although that was like under the old covenant, I get that. We're under the new covenant, there's grace thank you, Jesus, there's forgiveness, there's mercy, but it doesn't change the fact that one day we all still will stand before God as judge. And we are going to be held accountable for what we have done in this life. And so we may not face the same type of judgment that the old covenant uh, Israelites faced, but we still have to acknowledge God and respect him as the righteous judge. The second thing we learn, well, the second thing we can take from this is that wisdom must be learned. This kind of wisdom that teaches us to number our days is not a wisdom that is innate in us. My brother, seven years younger than me. So when I'm 21 and, like, I'm in college, I'm learning how to be a responsible adult, like, I've had, um, I've gotten into at least one car accident by that point in time. I wasn't driving. Somebody else was driving. And um, he's 14. 14 14-year-old boy, and he's going to go up to Nayog and jump into the gorge. Like, jump off the cliff into the gorge of water. And I'm thinking to myself, don't you know you could die? He has no concept of that. He's a 14-year-old boy. I mean, how many of you guys still think that way? Because I know it's not the ladies. How many of you guys still think that way? (laughs) I see you guys looking at each other back there. <laughs> yes, I know. Paul went jumping out of an airplane and my dad went with him. <laughs> but they it was a parachute. It was different. They weren't being they weren't being like my brother. But this is not innate in us to think about the frailty and the shortness of our life. We always think that there's more time. We always think we have tomorrow. We always think there's another day. And so the opposite of that is what we need to learn. We need to learn that every single day is a gift and that we are not guaranteed tomorrow. And then Moses says that learning to number our days will give us a heart of wisdom. And it's not just wisdom for the mind. I like that he actually says a heart of wisdom because I think it's easy to equate wisdom and logical thinking but it's not always the same. So we can make plans logically and think that there's wisdom in them, and sometimes there is, but then when our hearts, desires, and passions come into the mix, sometimes that wisdom and logic just goes right out the window because we're passionate about it. We want to see it accomplished. We're like, yes, let's go forward and do 20 things all in one day and not have enough time to do them. And then we put it off till tomorrow and, you know, it just gets chaotic. And so the heart also needs to learn the wisdom that Moses is asking for here. An English clergyman, Thomas Time, said this. He died in 1620, just to put you into his time period. He said this of learning to number our days. Of all arithmetical rules, this is the hardest to number our days. Men can number their herds and droves of oxen and of sheep. They can estimate the revenues of their manors and farms. They can, with a little pains, number and tell their coins, and yet they are persuaded that their days are infinite and innumerable and therefore do never begin to number them. So what he's saying here is that we can quantify just about everything in our lives if we really want to. You know, counting is easy, even if you need your fingers to do it. But you cannot count your days. But you must understand that they are short and unguaranteed. Now, I don't want to leave you depressed, okay, because we're talking a lot about, like, death and the shortness of life and, you know, like, you don't have tomorrow and blah, blah, blah. we have to go back and remember what Christ said. He said, I have come so that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So don't lose heart this morning because regardless of how much time or how little time you have, God has a plan for your life. And so these scriptures that I'm going to share with you, you could get embroidered on a pillow. You could put it on your coffee mug. You could even wear the t-shirt. They're what I like to call the happy slogans for life from the Bible. Psalm 32, 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Jeremiah 1, 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Romans 8:28. and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And Jeremiah 29, 11. how many of you could say this one with me? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And I call these happy little slogans, but they are not just that. They are the words of God given to us in truth, a promise that we can declare over our lives. But let's just hold on for one second, because... We don't want to declare these promises thinking that God is like a genie and that he's going to grant our wishes and just give us everything our hearts desire. Because if we look at these scriptures again, we'll realize that there is one constant thing throughout all of these promises and that God here is speaking about the plans that he has. They are not our plans. He's not saying that I know the plans you have for yourself and I will help them come to pass so that you may prosper and have hope and a good future. That's not what he said. He didn't say, before I formed you in the womb and I knew you and before you were born, I consecrated you and you made yourself a prophet to the nations. It's not what he says. What he's saying here is that his plans will not fail and so we have to make sure that when we make our plans they line up with his plans psalm thirty-three, eleven says the plans of the lord stand firm forever the purposes of his heart through all generations it doesn't say the plans of heather stand firm forever it doesn't say the plans of john stand firm forever it doesn't say the plans of chelsea stand firm forever It says, the plans of the Lord, the purposes of his heart. Proverbs 19.21 says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. And you know, it's not bad for us to make plans. I don't want you to get confused this morning. We have dreams. We have visions. We have desires. And that is how God created us, because If we didn't have those things, we would just be shells of blobs walking around without purpose. But we have to remember to keep refocusing ourselves so that the plans that we have align with his, that the plans in our heart align with his heart. Because we don't think like God does. So we can't just assume that what we want to do is what he has for us. We have to constantly go back and check ourselves with him. Isaiah 58, 8 through 11 says, My plans aren't your plans, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my plans than your plans." Now, we could stop there after 9, and that would be a nice little two-verse chunk to memorize and, and review and, and understand, but we should take it two verses further because this is what is key. It says, just as the rain and the snow come down from the sky and don't return there without watering the earth, making it conceive and yield plants and providing seed to the sower and food to the water, so is my word that comes from my mouth. It does not return to me empty. Instead, it does what I want and accomplishes what I intend. So that promise in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future, those are the words of God. His words will not return void. His words will be fulfilled in your life. But if you're not walking in his plan, how can you expect his words to be fulfilled? So let's refocus, reestablish, do my plans align with his? You see, this more abundant life that we can strive for is always going to fall short if we're not seeking the plan and purpose that Christ has designed for us. And so it comes down to us to make a choice. We can choose to live my best life and achieve a worldly status and go our own way alone, or we can choose to die to ourselves and walk into the more abundant life that Christ has promised us. Now, we talked a little bit about some characters in the Old Testament, but I'd like to look at Paul in the New Testament because out of everybody in the Bible, I think he probably has the most to say. I think he has the most to say but I think he also has the most to say about dying to ourselves and living for Christ. And that's because his life was so drastically changed by his encounter with Jesus. Because you take this man, Saul, who was the persecutor, the chief persecutor of Christians. And after that encounter, his life has changed to become Paul, the one who is now persecuted for Christ. And some of you might say, That does not seem like a good, abundant life to be persecuted for Christ. But it goes back to what is God's will. And God's will for Paul was to be the messenger of the gospel. And he was willing to accomplish God's plan no matter the cost. In the book of Philippians, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi from prison. And Paul spent a lot of time in prison. This was not his first stay in prison, and this was not going to be his last stay in prison. He spent a lot of time there. But he was happy that he was there. And the world would say, that's a backward way of thinking. There's no way you're living your best life if you're in chains in prison. But Paul knew that there was so much more to life than just being good or having a good time or getting to travel, or eating the right foods. There was so much more, and that was being a minister of the gospel. And so in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, Paul writes this. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And let's just pause there for a minute because earlier in the chapter, as he's writing, he's encouraging the people in the church at Philippi. Paul's in prison, in chains. He's encouraging the people in the church at Philippi, saying, don't worry about me. Because even though I'm here in chains, everyone knows why. So I am still fulfilling the purpose that God has for my life because I am proclaiming the message of the gospel even in my prison cell. All the guards know why I'm here. All the prisoners know why I'm here. And the message of Christ is being communicated. How amazing to be able to say that. So carrying on in verse 20 when it says, "For me, t- for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain." How many of you feel like when you're reading Paul's letters, you're reading in circles? And you have to go back and reread it a couple of times, because the language is just so different. I remember when I was in high school and I had to read the Canterbury Tales and Beowulf. Have any of you ever read those? It's horrible. It's in old English. Now, Corey, I know you love it. (laughs) And it's a good story, but it's really, really hard to get through. And so it's nice when you get, like, uh, what are those called? The... um, Yes. Okay. See, I didn't really use those very often because I love to read, but I had to use those with those books. All right. Cause they were hard. And so sometimes I feel like for Paul, we need some cliff notes and, um, there's this really great, easy thing you can do. You can get the Bible app and you can change the translation. Okay. So take it out of what seems confusing and put it into the message. Uh, and I wouldn't say like, only read the message, but read it after you've read the other versions and you're still confused because the message puts it into nice, plain text that you can understand really easily. And if you're like me and you've read it a couple of times, reading it in another translation, it's like it just makes it new all over again. It breathes new life into the things that you've already read. And so I want to share verse 21 with you in the message version. It says this, Alive, I'm Christ's messenger. Dead, I'm his prize. Life versus even more life, I can't lose. I mean, what an attitude. He's sitting there once again in chains in his prison cell. And he understands that he is living the abundant life that Christ has for him. Because he's alive and he's proclaiming the gospel message. And that was God's will for Paul. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been in chains for the gospel before. But let's be honest the days are coming when that may, might not be too far from the truth for us. We are going to face persecution. And we may not, you know, very soon be tossed in prison. But let's not put it out of the realm of possibilities. Let's just be honest about that. And so in those moments, will you be able to say the way that Paul said, alive, I'm your messenger, and dead, I'm your prize? Are you walking in abundant life now that will carry you through the harder times to come? Is that where you are, or do you need to get back on track? You see, it's this attitude of Paul that we need to grab onto. It was this attitude of faithfully living out Christ's will in his life that led him to write these words in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, and now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. You see, at at this time in his life, Paul knew he was close to death. He could feel the end was coming. He said, I'm about to be poured out as a drink offering. And so he knew he was dying, and he was able to say with certainty that he had accomplished the plan that God had laid out for him. Now, let's get back to the world for a second, because they're ready to help you succeed in living your best life. The world will tell you that your best life is just right in front of you, waiting for you to reach out and grab it. And all you have to do is put yourself first, follow your dreams, live your passion, regardless of what others think, and also follow these 27 habits of extremely happy people. And I'm not kidding or making that up, I went online Because, you know, the internet has all the answers, right? I went online and I typed into Google, how do I live my best life? Because I want to see, people are actually searching this. It's actually, it's coming up. I didn't even have to type finishing the sentence. People are hungry for a better life. And so they're going to the only place they know to go to because they're lost. And they're looking online for the answers. And they're getting self-help books for the answers. And there is a list of you know, searches that comes up. What are they? Answers to the search that comes up. And it's like twenty-seven habits of extremely happy people, eleven habits of extremely successful people, thirty-three habits of eternally happy people, five habits that's for the slackers, okay? Five habits of extremely happy people. So if you don't want to have to do a lot of work, you click that link. Alright. It just it's not gonna get you anywhere. It's not going to get you anywhere. So today, I'm not going to leave you with a list of 27 habits that will lead you into more abundant life in Christ. I want to leave you with the smallest number I could think of, three. And there are three S's. So it'll be even easier to remember them, S, S, S. John wanted me to do S-O-S. I said, I, you know, I don't know what, what O is going to be in there. He said, it's the offering. Said, no, no, no. but the first s i leave you with today is seek isaiah 55 6 says seek the lord while he may be found call on him while he is near psalm 105 4 says look to the lord and his strength seek his face always we need to be seeking god We need to be in his word. We need to have prayer with him. We need to be communing with him. And we need to be asking him, Lord, what is your will for my life? What are your plans? What do you have for me today? The second is surrender. In Matthew 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with the angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Surrender. Are you willing to surrender your dreams, your ambitions, your plans, your desires, everything that you think makes you you? Will you surrender that to Christ? Because if we try to cling to what we think is ours, our life, our dreams, our plans, we will lose them. Not only will we lose them, but we will lose our soul in the process. But if you're willing to surrender all of that to Jesus, he will give you so much more in return in this life and in eternity. And the third S today is submit. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Will you submit to his authority today? You have to seek his will for your life. You have to surrender your dreams to him. But then when he starts to lead you, you have to let him lead. You can't keep going back and questioning him. God, is this really what you said? God, are you sure you want me to do this? God, I don't think this makes any sense at all. Because his ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. His plans are higher than yours. And so will you do those three things, seek, surrender, submit? If you can accomplish that in your life, you will be able to walk into the abundant life that Christ desires for you to live. So I ask you today, are you willing to settle for what the world would tell you is living your best life? Is it enough to just be happy and successful in the eyes of the world? Or do you desire that abundant life that God has in store for you? Do you want to seek out his plan and his purpose? And like Paul, at the end of your life, do you want to be able to look back and know that you stepped out in faith beyond what everyone else thought was best and finish the race that God has designed for you? So will you choose to live your best life? Or will you choose to have life more abundant? Would you stand with me this morning as we close in prayer? God, we thank you that you are faithful. Lord, we thank you that you have good plans in store for us. Lord, we thank you that your mercies for us are new each morning. And Lord, every day from you is a gift. Lord, teach us to number our days, to be mindful of the time that you have given us. Lord, help us to seek your face, to know your plan and your will for us, to surrender our dreams to you and to submit to your authority so that we may be able to walk into this abundant life that you desire for us to have. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son who has made this possible for us. And We ask you to bless your children now as they go from this place. Would you speak to them? Would you lead them and guide them? Give them a new word each morning as they rise and bless them as they lay their head down to sleep. Would you be Lord and King of us today, Jesus, and have your way in us, O Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. God bless you as you go.